the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. couple minutes after 4, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. How you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Very special show planned for today. Quick check on the forecast. We have a sunny weekend ahead. 95 the high tomorrow, 96 on Sunday. In a nutshell, that's what we're looking at. Every several presidential terms, I'd like to give this gentleman a call and uh, <laughs> have him on the program. <laughs> Steve Taylor uh, reconnecting after, I don't know, the last time I spoke with you was early. Was it, was it during the Obama administration, it, I guess? It was 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Might was have it? been... Uh... Yes, right around there, end, end of Bush, whatever. You were, you were Eastern <laughs> University right. at the time showing yes. uh, Blue Light Jazz, which was a film you'd been working on, right? It, 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 remake? That's right. Yeah. What was the, yes, what, that's right. So it, it was in the waning days of the Bush administration. That's right. Okay. Well, I never, I never like to assume anything. Anyone who has been a fan of Christian music over the years will know the name Steve Taylor or should. And uh, but you've done so many different things, including songwriting, and and people may know of you if they looked deeply enough. Like if they're a fan of Newsboys music, they'll see your name in the credits because you've written or co-written lots of songs of theirs too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So okay. if they're Newsboys fans, they would probably know songs like Shine or Breakfast or Take Me to Your Leader or He Reigns was popular. So yeah, yeah, which but is the in- one that everybody knows. Is the one I always pop out is uh, I played in the beginning to uh, Six Pence on the Richards Kiss Me, which I produced and was a worldwide uh, pop hit in uh, 1999. Yes, and uh, yeah, so if if they don't recognize that, I say, well, then one of two things is true: either you were raised by Amish parents, or you've never shopped at TJ Maxx, because otherwise <laughs> you would have to have to have heard that song. <laughs> Sixpence was on Squint, right? Which is the label you founded? Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. I was producing the Sixpence album, and their label went bankrupt. So essentially, I just started to give, to give them a home, and it kind of blew up from there. Okay. So it was Sixpence. It was Burlap to Cashmere, who played locally here, right. among other things. Steve Delopoulos. Uh, yeah. And then a band Chevelle, some folks may know, especially on the hard rock side, right? And uh, yeah, L.A. Right. Symphony was the other one, right? The hip-hop? Yeah, the hip-hop collective. They were fantastic. Okay. And and then were there any others besides those four? Uh Waterdeep. You remember Waterdeep? Oh yeah. Don and uh Chaffee was well. his name? Yeah, Don and Lori Chaffer. Uh-huh. Chaffer, that's it. And uh and they did we did one album with a ska band called The Insiders called of course uh it was a praise record so it had to be called Scalleluja. Oh yeah. And uh they were a blast to work with and I still keep in touch with them too. So. Do you really? You know, yeah. it's funny because uh, Scott Lou, we we actually had uh, the Insiders in. They were on a tour with I don't know several other bands. Uh, this would have been two thousand ish, 
And I remember yeah. specifically doing a concert with them. We played a number of their songs on, on the morning show back then on WZZD. So, yeah, it was a good album. Yeah, if you do say so yourself. If you, if we, well, I didn't produce it, so I can say that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are lots of different touch points. And so just a, that's just a little panoramic view of, of Steve's life and his uh, professional career. On the music side of things, uh, which is where I got introduced to you and, and your work, uh, loved it. All growing up, I'm 52. So when I guess the first song was "I Want to Be a Clone," was it the very first sing- single officially, or that's the original? Yeah, that was the first one. Okay, so from there to Meltdown to uh, all the songs like "On the Fritz" and this part, this uh, d- disco used to be Coo Cathedral through the 80s. Those are the soundtrack of me growing up into my uh, you know, teenage years and college years. For you personally, did but you've also done film, record exec, all these other things. When you were younger. Where did you have a vision of, of, of just art in general, music, uh, film? Where was your head at when you were a teenager and heading into your twenties? Yes, when I was in college, I was equally interested in music and filmmaking. But I thought I'd probably be better off being a rock band in my twenties and a filmmaker in my fifties than the reverse. So <laughs> uh, that was the plan. I got into music and. The record label music videos were just becoming a thing, so the record label gave me some money to make a video for the song Meltdown of Madame Tussauds, and that was the way I kept one foot in filmmaking, was making music videos for myself and then uh, eventually for other artists as well. So okay, that was a good way to get a, a little bit of experience. You know, those of us that make music videos, we think we're making miniature movies, but really we're just adding images to a pre-recorded soundtrack. So it turns out it was a lot harder making a movie than making music videos. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, folks, just tuning in, we're chatting with Steve Taylor, uh, Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. One of the, uh, I was thinking about the visual aspect that uh, uh, that, that go with the videos, like the Meltdown video has Lisa Welchel in it, right, from Facts of Life? Yes, that's right. Okay. I think we, I think we were dating at the time, uh, around that time, and, she was a good sport and uh, agreed to be in the video. And and I also I ended up renting the Hollywood Wax Museum. It was closed on Sundays or Mondays or something, so we rented it for the day. And the curator was also a budding Hollywood effects person, so he figured out a way to make it look like the faces were melting. And, uh, you know, it turned out uh, better than it should have. Well, and so. <laughs> if I do say so. So, parenthetically, I, I, are you you're serious? I didn't know you dated Lisa Welchel. Is that really true? Yeah, that's that is correct. That's For hilarious. Shortish time. Okay. Yeah. Well, so so now, and I was at, when I was thirteen. I went to actually the actual Madame Tussauds in London with my dad, and right. uh, and that was right around the song when the song. Well, I guess the song was about to come out or had come out. The, it came out soon afterwards. So I had a firsthand view of these uh, amazing wax figures and. Just, again, not assuming people know the song or know the history behind it, the concept of it, maybe you could just explain what it, you know what that was all about. Yeah, the idea was uh, someone turns up the heat at most famous wax museum and all these historical characters and celebrities start melting. And uh, I thought it was a good metaphor for uh, when Jesus said, what, it, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So that was the jumping off point. Yeah. And and the video for it, you know, you watch these things. I was wondering, it, it looked not quite like Madame Tussauds, but I was like, where does he get all these props? This is like, 
not easy stuff. You just pull off the shelf somewhere. So no, it was kind of a low rent version of Madame Tussauds, but it was on Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, it's still there. I went there. I was in L.A. and in that area, and I thought, you know, I just want to see what it looks like now. And there was not a single figure that was still there uh, from when I was there, but it, it had all been updated, and it was a fair bit nicer than it used to be. But yeah, it's still going strong all these years later. Well, I meant, and I meant that as a compliment. And I, I, even though it didn't look at the actual museum, it looked like this is a lot of work to make yeah. this to, to to pull that off. How hard was it to to do that video? It was, I, I, you know, a guy at church, because I was living in Southern California, uh, I met a guy at church who was a successful cinematographer and did a lot of uh, high-end commercials, but he very kindly agreed to be the cinematographer, and he brought his crew along, And but the, the key to it was being able to rent the wax museum. It wasn't something we could have, we, we had the budget to create on our own, so that added a lot of production value. Yeah. Well, and it and this dovetails a bit also because around that time MTV is making its debut. Um, right. It's an interesting thing to think about the, that the music and the film that you already had an interest in that 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 maybe you know got to got to put in you prior to these things exploding because to do those videos along with the songs all along the way from the get go it, it was a it's a nice sense of God's timing I think would you agree? Yes, I would totally agree. Yes. Yeah, and, and and the meaning, some songs like my wife and I were listening to Philly's own Hall uh, of Notes the other day, and watching yep. the video for Private Eyes, and we're kind of laughing like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a single camera shot. You, they got sunglasses and just kind of moving around or whatever. It was just like, wow, this this was a video. This has a hundred, two hundred billion views since whatever. And your right. videos have not to you know it's not like you versus this. Still like the songs, but. The fact that your songs are very creative, it would seem to lend itself to the videos having lots of opportunity rather than just being a video of you doing the song. Yeah, a lot of it depends on, you know, picking the right song, one that has a lot of, uh, you know, that has a lot of visual possibilities. But, you know, as you know uh, from watching the Hall of video uh music videos have a pretty short shelf life <laughs> so yes they're very we, you have a hard time picking any music video from the 80s that still uh still you would look at and think oh yeah that's awesome steve taylor our guest singer songwriter record label executive filmmaker and so much more we'll keep our conversation going in just a second you're listening to the tim demoss show am 560 wfl.com and the wfl app you're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, singer, songwriter, record label, executive, filmmaker, and uh, all-around good guy, Steve Taylor, on our program today. One of the many opportunities we've had to cross paths over the years is when... Um, I guess it was late 90s, and I managed to track you down through a mutual friend, Jay Schwartzendruber, and um, one of the questions I had during that initial interview, which a lot of the listeners at the time on our sister station, 990 WZZ, they're like, Steve Taylor, you finally got him on the air. I was asking about the lyrics to your songs, because they play such a key role, and I, I had a question for you about about lyric, you know, songwriting and lyrics, and how easy or hard they were for you were they a gift or whatever do you remember what you said 
I, I'm assuming I said I, I work pretty hard at it because it's never come, it's never come quick. Yes, that's correct. In fact, I think yeah. you said something like that you you know agonize over them that you really put a lot in. Yeah, you never understood how some people could write their songs in the golf course by one. I know. I'm so impressed at that. <laughs> I heard the uh, who was it? Uh, David Lee Roth from Van Halen. <laughs> he was talking about writing lyrics. He said, "Yeah, I get in the limousine." And I have them drive me around Hollywood Hills for a couple hours. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> well, well, I guess one thing I wanted to, along those lines, I, I'm bringing this up, is it's just if you could speak to the, uh, I don't know, the need or just the awareness that sometimes you're doing a great job really does require lots of nitty-gritty, hard work. Stuff doesn't always come easy. Got to put the time in. Yes. I've got, I'm looking at a book of lyrics and poetry on my coffee table by Leonard Cohen, and he wrote Hallelujah, which, you know, has been covered probably by more artists than any other song we could think of after maybe Amazing Grace. Mm. And uh, I think, I want to say he said it. he worked 25 years on the lyrics, 20 years, 25 years. Wow. Like, he just would not, could not be satisfied. And he's got a, a ton more verses than you've ever heard. They don't always have to take that long, thankfully, but I think lots of times we're too easily uh, satisfied with the first thing that pops into our head. And uh, I think for most of us, writing lyrics that mean something takes a lot of time. I know the last album we did, uh, Steve Taylor and the Perfect Foil, and a lot of your listeners would know Peter Furler, who was the lead singer of Newsboys, and he was our drummer. And uh, so we finished one song, uh, the, the closing song on the album is called Comedian. And it was a full 20 years from when that idea came until I finally felt like I had it right. So, yeah. Wow. It can take a while. That's very interesting. And, and while we're on that topic... Uh, folks, just tuning in and chatting with Steve Taylor, singer, songwriter, artist, record producer, record executive, filmmaker, all-around great guy. And the Steve Taylor and the Perfect Foil, because uh, so folks may know your music from the 80s and 90s, and then um, you had the band Chagall Guevara for, is that how you say it? Guevara? I never really yes, knew that. Okay. Good job, yes. Uh, but more recently, you mentioned Steve Taylor and the Perfect Foil. What's what's the, been the last five, ten years with the the, the Perfect Foil? Uh, has it? I'm, I, I honestly lost track a little bit about one album versus two, or yes, we did. Uh, we did an album called Goliath, and yes. uh, you know that's available wherever music is heard. Okay. And then, uh, and those of you in Philly, uh, hopefully, know who Daniel Smith is from Danielson Family. Yes, uh, Daniel came out and opened for us on tour and, and performed in his, um, he has a setup where he actually is inside of a, a giant felt tree and then uh, plays guitar and puts his head through the trunk. And if you Google Danielson tree, you'll see the image. It's pretty remarkable. And, uh, and we loved him so much and loved being with him so much that then we ended up doing a six song uh, EP called uh, Wow to the Deadness. And we called it Steve Taylor and the Danielson Foil. And we recorded it with Steve Albini in uh, Chicago, who's well-known for producing Nirvana and the Pixies and kind of a punk rock auteur. And uh, that was a blast. So that was the last thing that I did musically a few years back. Okay. 
And and is it conceivable there may be still something yet to come with the perfect foil? Or yeah, well, pot. I mean, that's always a possibility. You mentioned uh, Sergal Guevara, so we have a live album that was recorded back when we were still a band that had never been released, and so I think in the in the coming weeks we're going to announce its release and probably some sort of a Kickstarter campaign or something like that because we've recorded some new music as well. So okay. uh, that should be fun. Very good. Steve Taylor, our guest. Quick break. We'll come back, keep our conversation going. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com and the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL and WFIL.com. Tour 21, the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL, our famous Friday show. Very excited to have the hour with the one and only Steve Taylor. Over the years, I've had a chance to interview Steve on various radio programs I've hosted, but they're kind of every now and a great then. One of those pit stops along the way had to do with the season in the late 90s and early 2000s. I used to travel to Nashville. Uh, There's this uh, thing called... uh, Live from Nashville, uh, I used to go there every six months and broadcast for a week from the Way FM studios uh, or right. a, c- a couple other places too. And you came over one day, and that was about the time you worked on. Uh, you were doing the the, um, the the Second Chance film. Folks may know yeah. that one, which had Michael W. Smith and um, I'm trying to remember who was the uh, the other main character. Yeah, his, his name was uh, Jeff Obafemi Carr. Yes. Co-star. Yes. yes, he did a great job. I think he just ran for office in Georgia or something too. He right? did. He ran it for ran for mayor in Nashville. Unfortunately, he didn't win, but uh, okay, gave it a good shot. It was well done film, but I remember you saying, "I'm learning how much money it takes just to make a bad movie." Not not about yeah, that movie, but just about how much work goes into making a movie compared to an album. Oh man, yes, it's not like it was. I was so you're so unprepared coming out of music to get into filmmaking, it's like you just add more zeros to everything. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a, a massive undertaking. So I I've try not to uh, be too critical of any filmmaker, even if the movie doesn't turn out, because it's it's pretty hard. <laughs> well, you did Under the Big Top, I guess, which is kind of with Newsboys. That's right, yeah. That, that was a, an hour-long kind of comedy musical with the Newsboys, and that was really fun. Okay, and uh, the Second Chance film, there were others. And was Blue Like Jazz the... The, the that uh, rework or the adaptation, uh, Donald Miller's book was that um, the most recent full blown film? Yeah, type of project. That was actually the most recent one. I've written a couple scripts. The latest one was a uh, political comedy, but we're still working on that one to see if we can partner with another production company. So okay. that one's still still in the future. Yeah, and I and I so good to get the update. And I ask partly because. Really, as I you know, step back and see all the different twists and turns and, and places God's current, if you will, has, has taken you over the years, it seems like you're, you know, content to engage and then shift over here and then go over there, or, you know, rather than trying to plant your stakes in one spot or trying to, you know, do one thing, then do it again, then do it again and, and, and go kind of one direction specifically. Yes. Yeah. I think it's probably just a, a really short attention span and, <laughs> uh, and then, and it, if, if anything starts feeling too easy, then it's like, okay, I got to do something else. So, mm. so I'm always uh, trying to do things that are just outside my capabilities. That's interesting. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Any particular reason Not for that? You that think is. just, just, I don't know. That's a good question. I think it's just easily bored. So 
if something feels like it's coming too easily, uh, I'm always end up finding ways to make it harder. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. You... that's probably a psychological term for that. That's not, that's not healthy. <laughs> well, there's time. There's time spent. I think part of it, maybe what I was trying to spit out there, is there's a certain amount of time that you invest in something to hone your craft and get good at. Right music or film or whatever it is. And if you've gone from your first film to your latest film thinking, all right, well, I'm in this far, let me do another one knowing what I know. And yet there's lots of different things that you find yourself doing. So that's, I think part of where I was curious if you feel like you've got to keep building because you've invested something already. Yeah. I think it's really like, you know, right about the time that I start thinking, Oh wow, maybe I could actually make a living at this. That's when I do something else. So that's, (laughs) That's, That's my plan. <laughs> That's funny. Why do you think people like like your music on that on that topic? Um, Over the years, yeah. Uh, That's a broad question, but that is a broad question. Or what I mean, draws like, people well, the in? People who tend to like it tend to like they tend to like the lyrics, and they maybe like the fact uh, that it's got a comedic edge or a satiric edge or, or certainly isn't, uh, does it, I, I mean, I, I take the gospel seriously, but I don't take anything else too seriously. So, mm. uh, although the songs, you know, some songs are more kind of comedic or funny or satirical than others. It's not, it's not all always that way, but yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I would, I would say the word bingo to what you just said. One reason I thought and think that your songs do work was because um, well, I wrote down that they're not filled with anger or taking yourself too seriously, uh, and they made a point or points, but you didn't insert yourself as a necessary part of the points being made. So it leaves room for the song's message to stand on its own. And yeah, right. I like that. Yeah, that's that's good. One of the <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. To, I'm trying. I'm I was. I'm going to use it. Can you send that to me? Yeah, right. I'll use that from here on out. <laughs> I was trying to think. There was carry one of the guests. We, what's that? I'll just carry it in my wallet. Yeah, You'll sure. Put it in a nice little card. Yeah. Well, anyhow, I just, I thought about that. Um, that's why I thought, that's why I thought your, your work stands on its own and personally has, has stood the test of time. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a healthy recipe. The comedy, the God, you know, the godliness desire to honor God and the work involved, like all the cultural references. Are you ever tired being you? <laughs> With all the that's why I keep changing careers. <laughs> all the books. I'm just thinking all the books you read, all the references you have in your songs, all the cultural references, songs like Jim Morrison's Grave back in the the day, or um, you know the different topics like Lifeboat and uh, even I want to be or uh, uh, we don't need no color code like. You have to have chewed on life, right, to to eventually write those songs and push them out in the right way. Yes. Uh, yeah, sometimes it can be exhausting, can it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because the creator of the universe, you know, he made us, he gave us our minds, our skills, our everything. So on one level, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of complexity to everything, uh, even though we're, we're he encourages us to be like a like a child in a lot of respects yeah. right but but to but i think i think it's possible that a a given christian might extend that to everything and maybe think they don't need to 
read a magazine or a book or be plugged in and be able to discuss things as intelligently as as they could if they did those things and or walking alongside other people it's not just about is this person going to become a christian or not because if not i'll move on to someone else that, that yeah right, right i have a favorite i have a favorite pastor up in now in new york city uh tim keller and uh he does that i think as well as any pastor i could think of of being able to uh expand on the gospel and uh, yet reference uh, kind of modern thought and uh, put it in uh, context to what the Bible teaches. And uh, yeah, he's written a lot of books. And man, for your listeners, I can't recommend him highly enough. He he started off in Pennsylvania. So, you know, he he was a pastor at our church when I was about 10. No way. Really? Yep. You went to the church, the the because the, that was a smallish church, right? Yeah, New Life, New Life Presbyterian, and he was That's one of crazy. like four president, one of four pastors. He was, yeah. I had no idea. Wow, he so was, that was before he went to New York. Yes, he was an elder, and he we had three wow. main pastors, and he would preach every now and again. And he was one of the elders. This would have been yeah. sometime wow. in the late seventies, early mid eighties. I forget exactly when. Wow, that's remarkable. I probably have sermon notes somewhere from his preaching. So Right, yes. Wow. That's fascinating. So Let's pray for him. He is uh going through cancer treatment yes. and uh so we're all praying that God will bring him through and give him healing and give him many more years of yeah. ministry because he's had a, a profound effect I know on on my wife and me and uh on many, many others. Absolutely. Steve Taylor, our guest, uh, just a quick break coming up and a quick check on the forecast. Uh, Clear evening ahead, low down to 70 tomorrow and Sunday. Lots of sun, high 95 tomorrow, 97 for Sunday. Phillies open their exhibition, a little mini one that they have going tomorrow night at Washington at 6.05. Brief break. Keep it going in just a moment. Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 434 on the Tim DeMoss Show. Pleased to have the one and only Steve Taylor on the program. Well-known singer, songwriter, record label executive, filmmaker, many other cool things. And you're known for your lyrics, uh, for sure. Are you able, when you when you write songs, whether it was then or even now, to to leave the song once it's done or do you think ah, I would have maybe I should have can you or can you really yeah. put it to bed oh I yeah I mean if there was a way to change it I would it's just that once it's recorded it's like it's engraved in stone there's there's no going back you know that was a that was a problem even with painters like uh, stories of painters that would go back into the Louvre in Paris and bring their paints and be caught touching up their <laughs> paintings that were already hanging on, on gallery walls. Really? But yeah, you can't really do it with music. Or I guess you could, but it just wouldn't work. Some people do a people re-release, know, right? Yeah, but I mean, to change the lyrics at that point, I, I think people would be upset. They'd feel like you were doing something that you weren't supposed to do. Yeah. I know like W.H. Auden, the great English poet, rewrote a number of his poems from when he was younger, I think in his 20s, and his fans were really upset, but 
you know, in his mind, he's like, no, I got this wrong. I want to get it right. <laughs> uh, but I guess even poetry, it seems like that wouldn't be quite as weird as changing the lyrics to songs that have already been recorded. Maybe that's, that's an idea. Songs I wish I would have done better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> an, an album if I could change. Well, you know, and there are things like updates or part two, but it's not right. changing the original and then carrying that on as yeah. an original, right? And, and like, no, I changed my mind. I want it to be like this now. Uh, I right. guess you could sing it differently in concert for a concert just to maybe make it yes. relevant to that day or something that just happened. Right. But moving forward, right. So kind of once you put your name on, you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, I just thought for somebody. That's an easy th- idea. There you go. There you go. I don't well, think anybody, to my knowledge, I don't know if anybody's ever done that outside of, I mean, maybe your listeners have some examples, but like certainly never like a full album or something, those songs that they've re-recorded and changed the lyrics to. That's really interesting. I actually had uh, is it uh, Nick Feldman, uh, lead singer okay. Wang Chung, on. Oh wow, yeah, right. Uh, not what long ago, and they redid "Everybody Have Fun Tonight" to "Everybody Stay yeah. Safe Tonight." So, oh right, what did they rhyme with? How did they rhyme Wang Chung with "safe"? Uh, I don't know. Uh, they, maybe they didn't care. I, I we played it on they the show. Care. It was like Everybody. part of an '80s concert, virtual concert, and uh, there were about gotcha. ten bands. And this was just not too long ago. I think we need to get Nick on the phone and ask him <laughs> how everybody <laughs> have fun tonight. Everybody went tonight. Say, yeah. Everybody say safe tonight. Yeah. Everybody something. You got to rhyme with safe, man. I don't care. Yeah. You gotta, hopefully they rhyme with safe. That would cause you That's an really issue. Really going to bother me. Cause you some yeah. angst. <laughs> look it up. You'll, it's on YouTube. Thinking about that tonight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> The other, uh, the if, other, if he didn't rhyme, if he didn't rhyme, safe. I don't think he did. I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna have to get in touch with him. I that's, don't think he did. Me. All right, you guys yeah, may have fisticuffs. That's, no, that's not fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so who? And the other question I want to ask you, Steve Taylor, who has helped shape your life? Uh, how, in terms of your craft, or and or people you respect, and it doesn't have to be somebody we'd all know. Yeah. Uh, but any name or two or three that come to mind, and and why. They, you respect them, um, and I know you're you're a humble guy who who say nice things about everybody. So you got to kind of put that aside for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So then we got to pick a few. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, man. And remember, uh, people well, will listen to this podcast and say, "Steve, I didn't make your top three. What's the matter, man?" Yeah, I know. So it's people <laughs> that I know. Yes, it doesn't have to be people that everybody else knows. Like who shaped you? Gotcha. Who's helped shape you yeah. in your life? Yeah. Well, my parents certainly are still alive, still with us, and they they were great parents and definitely were kind of the main influence. Hmm. Um, I had a friend, Chuck Bolte, who at least your brother knows. He's worked a lot with focus on the family after we'd worked together, but he actually got me my first kind of professional gig. As I, before I was a recording artist, I directed a group for a year called the Jeremiah People, which was like a musical comedy troupe. Hmm. And uh, Chuck played a big influence. One of my best friends still is another friend from that era who uh, really, as much as anybody, was responsible for me getting a recording contract. And a friend named Jim Chapin has been a big help. And I I don't know Tim Keller outside of corresponding with him a few times, but as far as just someone who's had a deep influence he would be there along with you know along with uh, pastors that i've had through the years 
Yeah, how am I doing? You're doing fine. A little generic, but fine. I was supposed to mention? Well, I'm well. I'm thinking like this filmmaker did this thing. Oh, filmmakers! Oh, well, yeah. There's a British British filmmaker, Norman Stone, who mentored me and was a, a huge help. And he uh, actually, if you've ever seen the movie Shadowlands uh, about C.S. Lewis and his uh, relationship with Joy Davidman. He actually did the original Shadowlands for the BBC. It was a BBC uh, TV movie before it was a theatrical movie. And it's fantastic. Um, And he's done a lot of work for the BBC and a lot of film work and worked with so many great actors through the years. And I'm still in touch with him. And and he's a fantastic talent and a a really uh, wonderful fellow Christian. And uh, yeah, so there's one. Okay, that's good. And I'm thinking of one other that often gets overlooked okay. is, well, I'm only suggesting. Are you going to give me his initials? <laughs> I'm going to give you her initials. D. Oh, my wife? T, yes. Oh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> yes, I've been very fortunate uh, to have married above my means, and my wife is uh, always a great encouragement and um, a really good critic. She always tells me the truth. Which is good. Okay. It is good, you know. I don't always want to hear it, but she's pretty much always right. <laughs> well, you guys and, met uh, in school, or were fantastic? Yeah. What's that? How did you guys meet? Were, she had similar interest to you in terms of. Could, no, we were met by accident. She went to the, you know, was recording for Sparrow Records at the time, and she went with a friend up to Sparrow's offices to uh, help a friend pick out some album covers because she has a really good artistic eye. And uh, I just happened to be there that day, and the publicist who's. Uh, his assistant uh, I'd been dating and she had just broken up with me. So the publicist felt like for some reason it was his job to find me a new girlfriend. So uh, <laughs> he made sure that Debbie and I met. And then, uh, uh, and then he, when she was pulling away, he ran out and, and gave her uh, one of my cassettes. She wasn't familiar with who I was. And, uh, and then he found me and said, you know, that girl you just met Debbie. I said, yeah, I said, uh, she really likes you. She wants to go out with you. This is a total fabrication, but I guess he figured, I am a publicist. I, I like for a living, so why can't I lie about that? And she was uh, there why? She was with a friend? She was with, the, you remember an artist, Michelle Pilar? Sure. So she was really good friends with Michelle, and Michelle wanted her to help her pick out the, a good album cover photo. Um, so, yeah, that's why she was there. And she's helped you some, not just, you know, with the honest feedback, but has she helped you professionally, like with, with uh, artwork of sorts or? Yes. Yeah. She did the cover of the best we could find. And okay. she also did the cover of, uh, I predict 1990. Which um, is a great cover. It really is. Yeah. I think it's a great cover. Although <laughs> we got in trouble. I guess people thought it looked too much like a tarot card. Yes. Um, yeah. Which that was not the intent at all, but what are you going to do? Well, you've had your and, share uh, of that. Over the, over the I've had a few of those, yes. <laughs> and she's she's a, still a fantastic artist. She's uh, actually you could go to her website. Okay. She's she's been painting for the last thirty years, and uh, now she uh, has been doing commissions. She loves dogs in particular. So her website is mayipaintyourdog.com. No way. And if you see the work that she does, it's astounding. Like I I know she's my wife, but. Uh, She's, she's got a lot of fans. In fact, uh, a couple of really uh, well-known authors uh, have just commissioned her to paint their dogs. And uh, 
but you know, when you see her work, you'll understand. I that. love it. I love it. Well, our our ten year old Theodora is. Uh, we've been promising her a dog for a long time, and I actually, on a side note, never realized how much work it is to get a dog. I just think there'd be one running yeah. out off the side screen. Hey, come over here, dog. You're ours. <laughs> Like, so not the truth. And not. applying and all these, you know, application, your application. Sorry, your dog's gone. This person took them. And it's been right. weeks of working on this. So I'll show her that in, in the meantime. Say, honey, we haven't gotten your dog yet, but let me show you this one because <laughs> because that'll give her some joy in the meantime. She'll think it's hilarious. She'll she'll love it. That's right. That's what great. What kind of dog are you going to get? Well, that's the, will you tell me? You guys have dogs? Yeah. Yeah, we had a dog. It was a great dog, Sherman. She just died like, uh, about six months ago, and we miss her desperately. But mm. uh, she was one of those Labradoodles, which is, you know, half Lab, half Poodle. Yep. And the reason you get one of those is because, you know, they're like, they got the good spirit and heart of a Labrador, a Labrador, but they're smart like a Poodle, and they don't shed like a Poodle. But why, why does it have to be that way? Why couldn't they be, you know, like uh, Henri, like a, why couldn't you get the worst of both dogs? <laughs> Although we we got we got the best of both, she was really smart, but she shed like a fiend. And by the time we figured that out, like it was too late, we liked her too much to send her back. So <laughs> she ended up being a great job. But a non-shedding Labradoodle, those are good dogs. It's one of the that we are looking at, actually. There's one one in the in the Mount Rushmore of dogs we're looking at these days. And uh, yeah, I I ask a lot of questions because I really do want it to be smart. We have a daughter who's got you know disabled. She's 14. And part of the yeah. issue is also for her sake, not wanting wanting the dog to be big enough to sit. She's not in a chair all the time, but sometimes she is so that the dog right. could could interact with her. I'm more yeah. like I'd rather have a dog that's like a cat, like doesn't do anything. and just sits there. <laughs> My dog's like, Dad, we're not going to just get a dog. We're getting a big dog. I'm like, Mm, not real thrilled, not real thrilled about it, but you're, you are my daughter. We'll do it, but I'm really not happy about it. So, right. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, and so you've never had a dog this whole time. No, I've had cats when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Oh, if you God. don't count rabbits or chicken, we had chickens. I don't even count cats. So that's just me. But... <laughs> oh, you're one of those types. I get it. I wasn't so. No, they're fine. Yeah. No, but... I, well, yeah. So that's on the horizon. So. Uh, wow, your life's gonna change forever. Yeah, so you can pray for me about that. And yeah. how you can, gotta get you gotta train them. You know that, right? Like they gotta be trained. I asked if we could on a on a relatively morbid note. I said, can we just get a dog that's like nine or ten from the get go? <laughs> it's on its way out. And it's on its way out. <laughs> because, because <laughs> my daughter's like, you're the worst parent ever. <laughs> right, right. And I said, well, honey, I've seen all our neighborhood kids get dogs, and within a month. They're not walking the dog. The dad's walking the dog. I'm like, I can't do that, honey. So if you're 10 and by the time, you know, you're 12, 13, you're like, I'm done with the dog, which I've also seen with neighbors' dogs at times. Like, let's just kind of time this out. Why are we torturing ourselves? Why are we torturing me? (laughs) You're in college and I'm still, but you'll like the dog, dad. It'll grow on you. I'm like, "Eh, maybe you're right. Yeah, well, that's probably true. And that's why you don't want to get, you know, a 12-year-old dog who dies a year later because, you know, you That's miss true. Them. That's true. And, yeah. I, and I say that obviously tongue-in-cheek, but it, there's a little practicality to me saying, I'm going to do the math on this. And uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, Steve Taylor, our guest, Tim DeMoss Show, our final break coming up. We'll keep our conversation going right after that. Thanks for hanging out this afternoon. Podcast, by the way, will be on our homepage in about an hour. Listen to Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL.
Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL.com. And on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for hanging out today. One of the songs that you did a long time ago certainly speaks to the stuff that's going on these days. We don't need no color code. That song's like how many years? 35, something like that? Yes. It was uh, like 1984, so it was a while back. Yes. And yeah. it was specifically directed to the the policy at Bob Jones University at the time of no interrac- forbid interracial dating. They have since changed the policy, which was great. Actually, President uh, George W. Bush was instrumental in them changing that policy. So, hmm. uh, so it's, that's great that it's, it's changed. And um, we have a little bit more perspective on it too now because our daughter is black we adopted her from uganda yes and so you know you you certainly get somewhat of a different perspective from having someone uh that's as close to you as you know your own family uh gives you a, a different perspective as well um but i i think uh i'm so glad to see this conversation happening in a more intense way than it has in the past. And I'm, I'm continually surprised at how little I know as someone who felt like they were fairly well engaged in the, in the discussion. Um, there's a book that I'd recommend for everybody. It's called the color of compromise by Jamar Tisby. And uh, I'm just about finished with it, but uh, I think he's a, uh, an evangelical uh, a pastor and a church historian, and he just tells the story of the church's complicity in racism in the United States. And there are so many things in there. Every like every every other page, it's like, wait, what? Hmm. We did what? And it's disheartening in many ways because uh, uh, you know racism has been around so long; has been such a, a part of the fabric of. Uh, our country uh, since its founding and before, and uh, but it's it's just become sort of the water that we live in, and we we accept it for very few people don't think it's wrong. It's just that we don't understand the depth of it. You know, we were talking about the second chance and uh, Jeff Obatami Carr, who played the black pastor. Yeah, might have been at lunch. We were just talking. He just talked to me about what it was like to go into a store and be trailed by security just by virtue of being a black man in a store. Hmm. And that was just his, that was just his daily life, uh, you know, getting pulled over and uh, yeah. just always being eyed with suspicion. And the toll that that takes living in that scenario every day is, is something someone like me, I, I, I can't understand. I can't begin to fathom what that would be like. So I'm, I'm glad we're, Lord willing, we're, we're getting serious about it. Well, and and true to Steve Taylor music, it's a it's a fun, punchy song that gets its point across. So it's heavy, but it's not heavy, right? In that regard, right. and that yeah. gets back to what it's we were saying. It's always nice, about. you know. Sometimes we, we you get discouraged and you think things are never going to change, and then, you know, I can only sing that song now as a as a nostalgia piece because it's no longer relevant specifically to that situation. It's still relevant in a general sense, but. 
apartheid is no longer part of South Africa, which it references, and Bob yeah. Jones University changed their policy. So yeah. it's also good, I think, to you know at least celebrate celebrate the things that do change. Well, you, and by the way, I, I, I meant I, actually I'm sneaking one more question in. You mentioned the book. What was the name of the book that you recommended? Uh, it's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Okay, and I think you when you were describing it, you said something about telling telling the story. And I, I was it was dawning on me that I think one reason your work over the years as a musician and as a filmmaker and, and uh, you know producing records and all the different things you've done and, and certainly writing lots of songs, how that works because the common thread besides your approach, your wit, or creativity is the fact that you're telling the story um, mm. all the way through. So from a, I, I, I would be remiss to not ask you just if you have a thought on the, what's important to you when telling a story. I know it's different how it comes out, but is there a, any – have you ever thought of it that way? You mean what's important to me in the way the story is told or, or why is it why story? Well, I, either or. I guess just the concept of story and what that can convey, what that can do. Um, yes. Because so many of your songs well, are just, like that. Yeah. I, I think that's, it's the same with comedy and satire and, and telling stories. It's just people drop their guard when you tell them a story versus telling them what to believe or preaching at them or something like that. The stories just allow a way in and hmm. make uh, – they're, they're just a great way to communicate. Well, you know, <laughs> he yeah. did a little bit of that, didn't he? <laughs> so yes. uh, he seemed to, seemed to know what he was doing when he was telling parables. He, uh, uh, he gets, it, they, it, it just gets, gets points across uh, so much better than, uh, than ranting. <laughs> yeah, a way in. I like that phrase. I like that phrase. Yeah. By the way, was your dad – was he a, a witty guy? When did wittiness he end was, in your picture? Yes. Okay, he was he was a terrible, terrible punster. So really, he could pull he could pull a pun out of any situation. There's a lot of groaning in our house. <laughs> well, Steve, it's great to hear your voice again and and to get your insight into things and to let the listeners know about you. Again, assuming folks don't know you at all, and you'd be the first to go. Oh, I don't, you know, but now people know who you are. But there, there's a new generation. That comes along, and with the internet being what it is, I'm guessing you you have people discover one intersection point with you, and then look back and they discover a lot more. You probably do. You find that sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I actually uh, I lead a, uh, a cinematic uh, theater and cinematic arts uh, school at uh, Lipscomb University, and uh, so I've, I I teach classes there too, and my students are always. You know, coming back to me with, uh, hey, check this out. It's like if it's on the internet, it's never going away. So, you know, <laughs> well, is that something? There's no escaping it. Is that something that um, people can take online by chance? No, it's all. Uh, well, I, I mean, based on what the pandemic does, uh, I may well be teaching okay. some of those classes remotely. But uh, uh, yeah, it's right now. It's just specific to uh, the students who are enrolled. students undergrad and grad students at Lipscomb in uh, Nashville. Yeah. yeah. We haven't talked about that much, but I've got uh, on faculty. Now we have Mike Naraki, the yes. creator of veggie tales. Voice yes. of Larry, the cucumber is yep. uh, one of our faculty, Tom Bancroft, who was a Disney animator runs the animation program. He 
uh, among many other things for Disney. He did Mushu, the Dragon, and Mulan. And you've got a Brown Bannister heads up our uh, music program. It was founded by Charlie Peacock before Brown took over. And uh, wow. so, yeah, we got we got some good people. Folks, remember talk to one another way back when. Brown Bannister, and he wrote a lot of Amy Grant's music, I think, or he can collaborate right, with produced, her. Produced. produced a ton of her work, and along with many others, yeah. Yeah. Steve, thank you, my friend. Well, Tim, thank you. Always a pleasure. And give your family my best, and uh, look forward to the next one, when uh, whatever the next administration is. Yes. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve Taylor, our guest. Uh, we mentioned it. We happen to talk with each other about every other presidential administration. It just seems to work out that way. I hope we can have him on again much sooner than that. Um, Steve, a man who has my respect for sure, known him for probably 25, 30 years, uh, but not just for his abilities musically and lyrically, but really for his work ethic, for putting in the time to be plugged into the world in a way that allows his faith in the Lord to permeate his work and I think really be very effective in the end. And mostly beyond all of that, as he said earlier in our conversation, I take God seriously and I don't really take too many other things very seriously. And I think that's actually a lot of wisdom packed into that. Podcast of our conversation should be up within the hour, right in our homepage at WFIL.com. Feel free to subscribe where you get your podcasts and feel free to tell a friend about the program. We appreciate that support. And for sure, for your prayers. We covet those. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay hydrated. Going to be a hot one. Some contests on our website, too. Check those out at WFIL.com. Jim Max and Max 413 Ministries leads in prayer next. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.